0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings, Uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our time here together turning for guidance to the teachings of the Christian mystic St. John of the Cross. In this session, I'm going to go back to the beginning and summarize in my own words, my own understanding of, uh, of the dark night. And from there, also in my own words, to move on into the spiritual canticle and the living flame of love, to introduce this understanding of the mystical awakening that emerges out of this dark night. That as we go through this transformative journey that we've been following, and it comes to a point where it flowers or blossoms into this mystical communion with God, this this God's uh, infinite oneness with us in love, and realize in this uh, loving knowledge with God. And then for the Lexio part of turning to a text, I also then want to turn and set it to John of the Cross directly to Thomas Merton, where he summarizes St. John of the Cross himself as a few very succinct statements and his ability to make this more accessible to us on what this mystical union is, this union of infused contemplation so hopefully this will help make these teachings more accessible. I know they're challenging, but they're also deeply rewarding. But the more we can um, get get into the wavelength, like get tuned in to kind of an intuitive resonance with what's being spoken of here, and the light it might shed on our own experience and our own ongoing search for God in prayer and in daily life. I think that that's our goal here. And then in the in the next session, which will be my my last session on John of the Cross, I'm going to turn to continue on with mystical awakening. But I want to turn to passages in Saint John of the Cross, instead of my own reflections and Merton's reflections. What are the ways that my that John of the Eckhart, Sorry, what are the ways that Saint John of the Cross, um, in his words, speaks of this uh, mystical realization of communion with God? And then I think there'll be two sessions after that, I believe, with uh, Kirsten on uh, dialoguing back and forth in a way that will hopefully uh, bring to light the questions that you've been presenting and some of our own questions to make this even more accessible uh, as a way to bring this John the Cross series to a close. And then we'll take a break and then move on to our next mystic. So let's let's look at this together. By the way... Uh, there's noise on next door, they're, they're rebuilding this condo next door, and on the ocean side of the house it's quiet, but my equipment's in here. So if I get uh, overwhelmed with noise, we'll just shut this down and wait and go with the flow, we'll see what happens, we'll do, do, do our best. So we'll begin. Um. Uh, John of the Cross is assuming, and all these Christian mystic teachers are assuming this, on the importance of our life of devotional sincerity in um, living the Christian life. And in living the Christian life, it assumes some personal ongoing uh, relationship with God in prayer. And that that relationship with God in prayer then spills over into an habitual underlying Christ-like attitudes towards ourselves, towards others, towards the earth in our day-by-day life, and he's assuming also then that this this life of ours is this, this Christian life, efficacious unto holiness. It is important to understand um, how limited it is. It's real and efficacious but limited compared to the union that awaits us when we pass through the veil of death into eternal glory. For uh, on this earth, this, our experience of, understanding of, and response to God in devotional sincerity is, um, is we, we experience the infinite presence of God in our finite faculties illumined by grace. So, for example, uh, when we sit in prayer, when we go to God in prayer, and other times during the day, um, we're we're graced with consolations. We're graced sometimes with a sense of inner warmth or um, a sense of... um, the felt sense of the presence of God, uh, sustaining us in our life, and uh, we're grateful for that. So this, this, but because the, the the gratification that we receive in these ways is a gratification through our finite abilities to be gratified. It's a finite way of efficaciously experiencing the infinite presence of God in our heart through consolations, through affect, through love. Likewise, what we know of God in the reading of scripture, in reading spiritual books, in the insights that we gain through the reading of scripture, uh, it's it's the infinite knowledge of God received into our finite understanding of ourselves illumined by faith. That, uh, that the, the, our finite abilities is just finite human beings. Illumined by faith, there is this finite modality of of efficaciously experiencing the infinite presence of God and so on. And this is our life. This is our life and we walk this walk and we live this way and that, that uh, a way of experiencing and responding to God in our daily life, as in a mirror darkly, as St. Paul says, or uh, and, uh, as an obscure certainty in our heart, as our faith, <clears throat> that the measure of this faith is love. And then we live by hope that when death comes and we pass through the veil of death, that we'll move from God being mediated or incarnate in finite ways of understanding the infinite presence of God, in finite ways of experiencing the loving union with God, will cross over into glory, into infinitely uh, realizing the infinite presence of God, sharing in God's own life as perfectly as God shares in God's life, in our eternal nothingness without God, in the full light of glory. And this is the picture. This, this is the understanding of, of our life and, and our Christian life and so on. Now it is at this point, the St. John of the Cross enters the picture as a, as a mystic. See, if we turn to the mystics for guidance, what kind of guidance are we expecting to get? We're expecting you to get mystical guidance. And what kind of guidance is this? It's a guidance that assumes everything that I've just said. It assumes that we've done our homework in our day-by-day life, seeking to follow Christ and to live as Christ lived, and uh, uh, through, our ref- through our reflections and through our insights and through our consolations and reassurances and, and so on. It assumes that efficacious unto holiness so, is uh, passing through the veil of death into this infinite glory union with God. What St. John of the Cross is saying is what happens to some people I put it this way, is that God decides not to wait until we're dead, to begin to infuse into us, how shall we put this, to infuse into us God's understanding of God, and God's understanding of who we are in God, hidden with Christ and God forever, infused into us and given to us as our divinized understanding. And God decides not to wait until we're dead to infuse into our heart the consummation of our ultimate desire, this love union, this loving union with God. How do we experience God's love, God's love for us, and God's love, how do we experience the infinite love that God is? being infused by God into us, into our own heart, so that the infinite love that God is starts becoming the way we realize our heart is being transformed into that love. And that this, this divinization through grace does not mean insofar as it occurs, and that we were, in the earlier talk on married love, it occurs to some degrees in all of us in married love, in our love for our children, in solitude, in art, and poetry, in service, there are echoes and intimations of this. But in this fullness that John of the Cross is speaking of, okay, that doesn't mean then that we're holier than those that are not graced with this, these infused states of contemplation. It's the charism of realizing within ourselves who God realizes us to be okay, as God's beloved as the one whom God creates, as the one to whom God can give himself, give herself completely as the beloved. So that we in seeing how unexplainably loved we are might in turn and being so quickened by this love, by being moved to give ourselves in love to the love that gives itself to us, which is mystical union. As a, as a vocation or as a calling, it's, all of our vocations, to some degree, and this is this is the setup here. This is what, this is what John the Cross is talking about, and he's talking about it, like all these mystics. He's talking about what he knows is true because he's experienced it, and in being a spiritual director, he has sat with people in whom they were being led by God along this path, and he understood in being with these people and with himself how hard it is to understand this. Because it, it unfolds in the midst of our limitations, it unfolds in the midst of the unresolved matters of our heart. It, it, it kind of quietly pours into us and grants itself to us unexplainably, in the midst of the day by day. It can be very bewildering how to how to see this interiorly that this could actually pertain to us, and how do we cooperate with it? This is where John the Cross is coming from. Yeah. The next point John of the Cross is saying to this is that this this influx of God, this unmediated infinite presence of God um, infusing itself and giving itself to us, God's consciousness of God pouring itself out and transforming our consciousness into this divine consciousness in this loving union. This cannot occur as long as we're still our, our finite ways of experiencing with God, through insight, through reflection, through beliefs, through consolations, is still our base of operations. Because that means you can't get the ocean into a thimble, but you can drop the thimble into the ocean. We cannot get this infinite bounty of love into the finite uh, confines of our heart, into the confine of uh, infinite knowledge, into the confine of our mind. And also because God knows that we're attached to these finite modalities of experiencing ourself and understanding ourself and God and everything. We're very kind of bonded with it. God knows that we're not capable by our own efforts to liberate ourselves from this dependency, this identification with these finite modalities. And therefore what God does is lovingly removes the ability to be nurtured by finite ways of experiencing the infinite presence of God. So, so that in so that in our appetites, in our desire for gratification, the, the senses fueled by the desire for gratification, including being gratified by the felt sense of the presence of God. That God, because that gratification, however real it is, the solace, the sweetness, the warmth, because it's finite and we're attached to it, God lovingly removes our ability to be consoled by the presence of God. It experiences a purgation or a loss or a deprivation of the felt sense of the presence of God. And likewise, God seeing that we're attached to our finite ways of understanding God, finite, which are true. How we understand scripture, the teachings of the church, it's all true, but it's a finite way of understanding the infinite mystery of God. Remember what John of the Cross said, that just as someone born blind could be told about the color yellow, and through faith would know that the color yellow exists. Being born blind, that person would have no essential knowledge of what the color yellow is. He says, so it is with faith. We know that God loves us. We know that God's one with us. Uh, but but, but, uh, but we, had, we don't know what these things mean. By a way of analogy, we have, because we know what finite knowing is, what finite loving is, but he said there's no essential likeness with what the realities, these infinite realities are in God. We know it's true through faith, but what the infinite reality of what we know through faith is is infinitely beyond understanding, and therefore God removes our understanding That is, God removes that previous unquestioned clarity we had, that chapter and verse clarity where you can flip back and forth and explain things. And so on. God takes away the ability to do that. And then he says, John the Cross says, if we don't panic, and we also discern, make sure what other things that may be going on that could contribute to this, there can begin to grow in us, he says, a general loving awareness in which we sit in kind of a quiet emptiness. It's very subtle, it's very delicate, it's very empty handed and poor and quiet. And uh, we do not recognize it at first, but in that quietness, bereft of insight, bereft of consolation, we begin to experience a kind of homecoming, an unexplainable homecoming in our heart, and we feel that we're being called by God to be faithful to that homecoming, and sit that way, like an unlearned child, and that's the gate of heaven. But that's the gate of heaven, then through which we, and through our daily life, um, we, we find our way into this uh, union, and the union then dawns on us out of this darkness. See, here we, are, here we are sitting here, bereft of the ability to meet and find God on our terms. And uh, there's these unconsummated longings. And out of fidelity to those longings is God finds a clearing or an opening to begin to infuse the unmediated uh, infinite presence of God into the intimate immediacy of our very presence, we begin to realize that the infinite presence of God is being poured out and given to us as the mystery of our very presence and our nothingness without God. That God's understanding of God and who we are is being poured out and infused into and given to us in our, in, in, in our, uh, our uh, as our understanding in this love beyond all understanding. he says, to such a person then, they come to realize that everything remains to be understood. That is, no matter how deeply we understand it, God's infinitely more than that, through all eternity is infinitely more than that. So to know that everything remains to be understood is a deeper way to understand this godly. And it's this mystical understanding that John of the Cross is inviting us to. He also says that this cannot be understood conceptually, that the the, the finite mind and the finite heart is transcended in this birthing of this infinite union with the infinite, this communion, that the finite mind itself can't grasp this realization that transcends what it's capable of. But although we can't grasp it, we unexplainably realize that it's happening to us. And so the whole of the spiritual canticle then is how do we be faithful to that? It's so subtle and so unexpectedly intimate. Uh, How then do we surrender to this love, which calls us into ever even more subtle longings and how do we find consummation of those longings and so on? That's the journey he's marking out for us. Now, this is a text I'd like to turn here. This is Thomas Merton, uh, The Inner Experience. Well, we did Thomas Merton, I don't know if we did this passage or not. I don't remember. But he's explicitly paraphrasing St. John of the Cross. And he does so in a way in which I think we said, you know, when we were with Merton, his value is he was so steeped in um, the ancient wisdom of contemplative Christianity, and so was transformed in it himself. As a contemporary, he puts it into our terms, and so he makes these ancient timeless teachings more accessible. So, this is Thomas Merton. This is the Inner Experience uh, teaching on infused contemplation, uh, chapter 6. Verse. This infused, that is this influx of God, this unmediated influx of the presence of God pouring itself into us and transforming our very presence into the presence of God through love, in our nothingness without God. Oh, there's the noise outside. Let's see what happens. Okay. <clears throat> First, this influx is experienced. One, it is an intuition that on its lower level transcends the senses. That is, as the influx that you're sitting there, it transcends anything that you can perceive with the senses. That is, it can't be seen, it can't be heard, it can't be touched with the hands. This doesn't mean that later on, as it gets deeper, that that there are not things mystical, since through, through visions and and auditory voices of God and so on, those can and do occur. Um, uh, but then he says, if when they to extent that they do occur, he says we are not to be attached to them but see them as calling us even deeper to lean in closer to God beyond anything that can be perceived by the senses. So it is an intuition that on its lower level transcends the senses, and on its higher level transcends the intellect itself. See, this is why he says it's impossible to understand it. This is why we shouldn't be frustrated if we don't understand it, because if we can understand it, it wouldn't be what he's talking about because understanding it, we mean conceptually understanding it by an insight of our finite mind into the infinite. But this is not an insight of the finite mind of the infinite. This is the infinite understanding, pouring itself out and infusing itself and transforming our understanding into this divine understanding. So we're beyond the intellect, beyond the senses. Number two, hence this infused contemplation, is characterized by a quality of light and darkness, knowing and unknowing. It is beyond feeling and even beyond concepts. However, notice there are concepts that embody and bear witness to this knowledge beyond concepts, which are the teachings of the mystics, because we're using concepts right now, that is, we're using words. But these are concepts that embody and are in the service of the knowledge that transcends concepts, as is every word of Scripture, as is every word of Jesus. Number three, in this contact with God, this light and darkness, there must be a certain activity of love on both sides. See, on the side of God, it's already taken care of, because God is the infinite love that is both the origin and the fulfillment of this very transformation, which is ultimately eternal, divine. On the side of the soul, there must be a withdrawal from attachment to sensible things, a liberation of the mind and the imagination from all strong emotional and passionate clinging to sensible realities. In other words, there must be a liberation from reactivity what happens in reactivity? In reactivity, we get so energized by the intensity of the moment that we we lose contact with the divine context that utterly permeates and transcends that which so excites us at the moment. So there's a certain kind of uh, deepened equanimity of a, of a very broad-based way of being present to the rise and fall of circumstances of daily life and the rise of fall of what occurs to us in prayer. Passionate thinking distorts our intellectual vision, preventing us from seeing things as they are. But also we must go beyond intelligence itself and not be attached even to simple intuitive thoughts. All thought, no matter how pure, is transcended in contemplation. For St. Teresa of Avila, remember in the fourth mansion, the time has come to love more and think less. It's knowledge through love, it's a loving knowledge and love. The contemplative must then keep alert and detached from sensible even for, and even from spiritual attachments. St. John of the Cross teaches us, likewise, if, if I receive an inner illumination, like an influx of deep joy, Um, I'm to realize that the influx of deep joy is happening, but to realize because it's in the phenomenal order of what rises and falls, I'm not to become attached to that influx of joy or union. Likewise, if in the deprivation of joy, I'm not to be attached to my deprivation of joy because the deprivation of joy is simply the deprivation of what's infinitely less than the joy of God, that's beyond the joy that arises and and falls, arises and falls. This is the eternal joy, uh, boundless in all directions. It's present in but not limited to uh, moments of joy. It's also present in, in a hidden way, in the loss of joy. The contemplative then must keep alert and detached from sensible and even from spiritual attachments. Saint John of the Cross teaches us that the contemplative should turn away even from seemingly supernatural visions of God and of his saints in order to remain in the darkness of unknowing. As St. John of the Cross says, these insights that we get or these realizations, we never know for certain where they come from. They could be from God. Uh, they, They could be the mind. It could be from inner realms of consciousness itself. It could be the forces of darkness. So we mustn't ever be attached to them, but be open to all of them. Because even if they're from God and we're attached to them, they'll distance us from this mystical union with God. And even if it comes from the forces of darkness, but the the, the spiritual quickenings that come from the forces of darkness, if it deepens our faith in God, even though it's from the forces of darkness, it'll deepen our union with God. Our only concern here is to do God's will and leaning ever closer to this transformation that God's achieving in us unexplainably in our heart. In any event, contemplation presupposes a generous and total effort of ascetic self-denial, but the final ecstatic movements by which the contemplative goes beyond all things is passive and beyond his own control. That is, there must be the ascesis of detachment from what can be gained or lost, from from what we understand and don't understand, all of that. We're aware of it, we're open to all of it, but we're leaning in to a realm of fullness that's present in it, permeates all those fluctuations, but is infinitely more than that. So, when the ecstatic moment of communion comes, like the mystical union, it will arise without our control because it's God doing it. That's why it's infused contemplation. It's it's really the act of God in us. Four, contemplation is the work of love. Oh, that noise. I want to keep going. I think you can hear anyway. I want to keep going. This is. Contemplative life in the real world. Contemplation is the work of love, and the contemplative proves his love by leaving all things, even those spiritual things, for God is nothing, for God in nothingness, detachment, and night. That is to say, uh, yes, when the, when, the, when the pleasant thing happens, it really is pleasant, and I'm grateful for it. But the pleasant thing that happens for which I am grateful and God is present in it is in and of itself infinitely less than the joy that's flowing unexplainably into my heart, and so on. And likewise, when sorrow happens, yes, this is very sorrowful. I feel the weight of it, I do. But I know that this sorrow, as real as it is, does not diminish, nor from this infinite love that transcends the sorrow, does not take the sorrow away, but sustains me in it and gives me the courage to face it from a depth of love that empowers me to be present to it as best I can in the presence of God. It's really the mystery of the cross in the ground of our minds, the mystery of love crucified, really, I think. For God alone can grant the gift of mystical grace and make himself known by this secret, ineffable contact that reveals his presence in the depths of the soul. What counts is not the soul's love for God, but God's love for the soul. 5. This knowledge of God in unknowing is not intellectual, nor even in the strict sense effective, that is, not heartfelt in the emotions. It is not the work of one faculty or another uniting the soul with this object outside of itself. It is a work of interior union and of identification in divine charity. One knows God by becoming one with Him. One apprehends Him by becoming the object of His infinite mercies. And lastly, 6. Contemplation is a supernatural love and knowledge of God, simple and obscure, infused by Him into the summit of the soul, giving it a direct experiential contact with God. So this is what we're talking about. And notice, too, I would, I'd I'd end with this. When we hear talk like this, we may say, you know, I don't know if I've ever experienced this in, in, in this fullness in an abiding way. But well, we can be sensitive, like in the reflection we did earlier on married love or on parenting. Well, we've tasted something of this. Also, I think, when we listen to talk like this, we sense in it the beauty of it. And we know that it's beautiful because it's true. And knowing that it's true, we're on a path because it's in God's hands, the extent to which we realize this and the fullness of which we realize it. What's important is um, our deepening experience of and response to God's infinite love for us in the midst of our situation, in the midst of being who we are right now, is being unexplainably trustworthy and uh, Abba Father, this uh, which is really Christ consciousness in the world. So I, ho- I hope this helps, um, give a sense of this and, and how important it is to be patient with ourselves as we sit with the beauty of it and kind of let it settle in. We're right at the edge of spiritual direction right now. That is if you and I could talk one-on-one or if we are on a live silent retreat together, and we could have questions and answers. You do get to do that through Kirsten indirectly. It's in a dialogue that you kind of get intimations of how this is somehow present in your life, where it wouldn't make any sense to you if it wasn't. The very fact you're drawn to it gives witness that you're already on this path. And uh, so uh, uh, let's let's end then here with a meditation. you to sit straight, fold your hands and bow. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still be. We say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever, amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. St. John of the Cross. Uh, Blessings, till next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.